Hello and welcome to Med Talk. My name is Sam, I'm one of the final year medical students at University of Western Australia. And today's episode is slightly different to our usual ones. It's a special episode on transitioning from medical students to junior doctors. Um, and quite timely as the internship uh, offers start to come out today at the time of the recording. And exciting stuff. It is exciting, <laughs> but terrifying. Um, joining me today are two very special guests, Dr. Chris Mihalovic, who's a surgical registrar at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital, and Dr. Emily Tan, um, who's an RMO currently at Farmley Regional Hospital. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for doing this for us. Um, so I thought I'd start with a bit of background. So, you know, the transition from being a medical student from a student doctor to an intern it's an, it's an interesting time it's exciting and challenging can feel quite daunting um, so we really appreciate you offering your time to share your experiences um, about that transition and uh, giving us advice on how to prepare best for that change um, I thought Perhaps we could start with your experiences as medical students. What helped you prepare for that change? And we might start with you. Yeah, no, um, it's certainly a very scary and daunting thing to go from being a student to um, a junior doctor. And I, I think this is really great that you're doing this because I don't think I really had, it was all very casual conversations, but I, there was no real lecture, I don't, I don't recall. Yeah. I think the simplest thing that you can really do as a medical student is really attend your clinical placements. From my experience while I've been a resident, it's quite obvious when you have a junior on your team or an, or an intern um, who has not attended ward rounds before mm -hmm. because they just seem so out of place and uncomfortable with the whole uh, schedule and uh, the environment that they're in. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. And I've written a few things down, actually. I've split it into sort of knowledge, um, things that would be important, yeah. um, and also procedural skills that are sort of core and key as an intern, um, that while you're a student, you can certainly practice and be competent and proficient in before you become an intern. Mm -hmm. I'll hand it over to you, Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah, just building on what Emily said, I'd say um, vary how you spend your time on clinical placement as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you want to spend time with the registrars and the consultants because they're very knowledgeable mm -hmm. and can help you learn um, the sort of relevant information to pass your exams. Um, if you're lucky, they'll do some teaching on the fly as well. But I think it's also important to spend like half a day or maybe even a day, um, even from the start with... Um, with the JMOs, like the residents and the interns, yeah. because that's what you're going to be doing for the first few years of your career and shadowing them initially when they're doing the patient reviews for fever, hypotension, all the common stuff you get called about daily. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, towards the end of your clinical placements, when you're more senior, you can do those reviews yourself and then tell the intern what you found. And, you know, if they're suspicious that you missed something, they can, they can check it out yourself. So trying to do everything, I guess, once, you know, reviewing various issues with patients, doing radiology forms, practicing consults, all that sort of stuff. Just getting used to like yeah, the day-to-day -day minutiae of it all. Yeah, of course, because that's what you're going to be, mm. you're going to end up doing. Yeah, and um, one other thing, um, I guess as a medical student versus like as an intern, like you 
do this at any time. Just being aware of what resources are available. Mm -hmm. um, lots of apps, lots of great websites. Um, having like that intern cheat sheet, ETG, BMJ, mm -hmm. um, MDCalc, mm -hmm. um, because you know nothing looks better than flexing um, when you're doing a referral with like a Chadvast score or a QSOFA score or something. Mm, yeah. So just polish these things off a bit. I think just to add to that, um, th I just had a list of some really basic things that I think as a junior really important to get a handle of. Um, and I think looking back, I wish I sort of knew this before I'd started my internship. Um, these are things like electrolyte replacements. Those are sort of very basic things that um, junior, as a medical student, you really never have any experience doing because it's really very low yield for yeah. you to learn what are the actual uh, sort of uh, options for you to replace dental electrolytes with. Um, but just adding on to those resources that are available, the hospital guidelines are actually amazing. And even Charlie's, and I think Fiona Stanley, probably all the tertiary hospitals have amazing guidelines for very simple things like electrolyte replacements. And even the charts themselves, will, mm -hmm. if you just flip the page, have amazing guidelines to guide your practice when you are really unsure as to what to do. And these are things like the anticoagulation chart, hyper, hypoglycemia. And I guess in addition to that, just knowing your way around those charts and the medication chart, knowing what bits are essential for you to fill in. I'm sure as you do your transition to internship, you will have a workshop um, about those things. Um, but just on your clinical placements, just sort of shadowing, uh, as Chris said, the, the intern or resi um, and just seeing exactly what they're doing. Yeah, so getting all that hands-on mm. um, practice mm. and experience. Uh, so in hindsight, was there anything else apart from, you know, um, following the JMOs and putting more time towards being in the wards that you think could have made your transition easier? I think the mm. the money is really being there and being where you're essentially going to be working next yeah. year. I guess yeah. in addition to all that knowledge-based things, there's also procedural proficiency. I mm. mean, doing cannulas and um, doing venipuncture independently is a no-brainer. But yeah. things like arterial blood gases, knowing how to do a venous blood gas and suturing, which are all part of your procedural logbook, mm -hmm. not just getting them ticked off, but actually feeling comfortable and confident to do them by yourself, mm -hmm. I think just saves you a lot of time and a lot of headache when it yeah. gets really busy. Yes. Sure. So I thought we could speak a little bit around what life as an intern looks like. So what a day-to-day -day might look like, and I appreciate that probably varies every single day, um, but what are some of the typical responsibilities as an intern. Chris, I might start with you this time. Yeah, sure. Um, it varies like a bit between, you know, the major disciplines, but it's all pretty consistent. Um, generally you get in, you know, 10 minutes early, just prepare a list, quickly check any bloods that have been done overnight because that usually indicates something, um, uh, something serious might have happened overnight, like a met call or a serious review. Mm -hmm. um, then just collating all the files, going on your ward round. When you're doing the round, obviously documenting everything like, like you're taught or how your colleagues teach you, um, which is quite specific to each department. And quickly flicking back to see if anything's happened overnight as well, to see if there's been any reviews. Um, finish the round and then basically just start doing your jobs. So you'll find your own system for like prioritising how you do the jobs but generally you order any t tests or scans first, 
um, leave the referrals for a bit later in the morning, just as a courtesy to other teams that might still be rounding. And then, you know, going out and doing other procedural things like reciting um, old cannulas, patient reviews, which you can sort of triage yourself. Um, and then, you know, if you're on a surgical team, go down to theatre if you have time in the afternoon or shadow your registrar for consults. And it really, the afternoon sort of, yeah, a bit more variable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting, getting stuck into those summaries. Don't let the nurses pull you into doing the summaries before you do the other jobs. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, Does that did, yeah, didn't have much to add to Chris's, basically, what you said. Yeah. yeah. So it varies, but also being organised is, I think, what I'm hearing, and um, not letting those jobs stack up. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, another thing, um, transitioning from a student to full-time work life, um, there's a lot of physical and emotional demands that come with the job. How do you guys balance it, um, balance that work life and um, not let those demands, uh, especially that mental burden, get to you? Mm. Emily? Yeah, um, I think that's probably one of the most challenging things when mm. you transition from being a student to full-time work, especially if you've never done full-time work before yeah. if you've gone straight from high school to university um, and then now and now an intern um, I think it's always important to I mean e- everyone's talks about work-life balance and it is so important mm-hmm. to at least allocate some time for yourself um, when you have finished work but there are certain things that I felt that I thought that I didn't need but as my time throughout my internship I felt that once I started to include those things I my well-being improved so much and they're very simple things and things like never skipping meals I used to skip breakfast lunch and dinner and I would eat maybe a small meal at 11 p.m. and I was flat out and so once I sort of forced myself I need to wake up 30 minutes earlier have breakfast and make sure I bring something or buy something to have five, ten minutes of lunch, you feel so much better and you feel you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to sort of walk out there and then. Um, and, and going with that, it's so important to take breaks as well, especially when you feel overwhelmed. It's, it's important to just take a breather when you feel things are getting too busy or even just having a debrief when you feel you can't handle certain things or talking with them out with your colleague. I think going along with that, it's really important to have that circle of friends or family that you can rely on outside of work. Um, You always need to attend teaching. Teaching is so important. You can't be a better doctor if you don't learn anything. Otherwise, you're just doing discharge summaries and referrals that you're not really sure as to why you're doing them. Um, I think lastly, uh, is so important to apply for your leave. I think for an internship you have 47 weeks that you are required to do a full-time clinical work and that includes proce- uh, professional development leave, um, but you have four weeks of annual leave as well. So when I was an intern, I applied for four days of annual leave and that is all I got and I was so burnt out. And then my other friend applied for all four weeks scattered evenly throughout her year and she was in tip-top shape by the end of it. So apply for leave early, apply for it as soon as it comes out and that's probably the most important. 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, isn't it, when it does get stressful, those basic things like having lunch, yeah. having a drink of water, taking yeah. regular breaks, they're the first things to um, get off your mind. They're probably the most important. Definitely, because it is, is such a common um, thing for, I guess, for us doctors to think that we need to work hard, we are here to work and that's really all we're here to do, but it's it's so much more than that and your well-being is so important. Yeah, and you can't care for others if you're not yeah, looking after yourself. For sure. Yeah, Chris, did you have anything to add? What's your system? Um, oh, that's all like very great what Emily said. Um, not much to add really. Um, one I'd say is just sort of have realistic expectations about what kind of career you're going into, mm. how much leisure time and how much work is going to be involved so you're not going to get too many nasty surprises later. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help and have, I think having mentors really helps as well and like multiple mentors so one at like your sort of similar level maybe a few years ahead of you who's still a JMO um, who can relate more to what you're going through um, and then a mentor who's maybe a service registrar or a training registrar in the area you're interested in and then a consultant as well so you can um, sort of set goals for yourself and mm-hmm. um, vent to them as well um, and yeah I've been really lucky I've had really good friends, so um, medical and non-medical friends to talk to. I think it's important to have both. Yeah. yeah. How do you go about finding a good mentor? Um, you touched on that was a really good system having mm-hmm. good mentors and different yeah. aspects and different. Um, I don't know. You kind of choose each other. It's yeah. kind of weird. Um, yeah. Like honestly, um, choosing once you know what specialty you want to do, I guess like you're attracted to that for like the medicine, but also like the personalities often than the consultants. And often you just, you find each other, um, both by doing placements and exposure, um, trying to talk about non-work things and establish some sort of relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, often, I don't know, people go into medicine often for like noble reasons. So they're often pretty, he- pretty keen to help out people, help out their colleagues. Yeah. Oh, that's really good formal mentoring programs I don't exactly remember but I had a mentor in my intern year who was a basic physician trainee but I don't exactly remember how I got involved with that I think there was an email that was circulated at the beginning of the year Um, but yeah it was really it was really great and we met a couple every couple of months Um, but even just to as as another sort of avenue to debrief was really important so you get the same um, or mentors in med school and that's really helpful mm, just yeah. like you said debrief and um, get advice at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we could talk a little bit about so as you're working um, you know, in the hospital it's you work with different teams and all different kind of people, um, whether that be different medical teams, working um, in a multidisciplinary team. Mm. That's a huge part of, of working as a clinician. Are there any challenges of working in you know, multi-professional teams? And do you have any tips on how medical students can develop those communication skills? Yeah, um, I think the first thing I want to say is that when you do start working, you certainly meet and work with a diversity of personalities. And some of those can be more challenging than others. Um, you not only work with your other juniors um, and your your registrars and your consultants but certainly the nursing staff your allied health and other specialties as well Um, I think the one that stands out to me though is that when you're an intern you will certainly become busy overworked stressed and overwhelmed with your workload 
um, and it is easy to forget to be kind. Um, it, if you cannot be kind, at least be diplomatic and professional. I think it's just really important to remember that you're all here to work as a team um, for the benefit of the care of your patients, essentially. And the easiest thing you can do is just to be kind as, as much as possible. Communicating concerns and handing over, I find, is probably the most important part in terms of working in a multidisciplinary interprofessional environment. It is where things get missed and patient safety is compromised. Um, I think the most common thing where this may happen is when you're escalating to a registrar about a patient you're concerned about, or even just referring to a patient either for advice or for review, because that will determine how concerned the other person is and how they will prioritise that as well. I've experienced it when nursing staff also try and escalate things to myself, but they can't clearly communicate what exactly their concerns are, and that's when things sort of fall down. Um, oftentimes, you know, a nursing staff may say, oh, I'm just, con oh, something feels off about this patient, um, but th there's no sort of clear communication about exactly what they're intending to communicate. So I think the things to take away is that you need to always be succinct, succinct know what rele relevant points that you need to communicate, clearly say what you're concerned about and what, what is the question that you have. And so as a medical student, I think it's sort of realising that when you are following your, your juniors or when your registrar is admitting or referring a patient is to take note of those things and take note about how they communicate, especially in, I, I mean, I imagine, Chris, for you in the surgical field, the time, you guys are very time poor, and so you need to uh, sort of elicit what exactly you need to know within 30 seconds a minute. And so that communication is so important because after that minute, they've probably stopped listening. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, and s that can also cause a lot of stress as a junior as well because you're concerned about this patient, you want them to come and review, but they are so time poor and you're not sure exactly what you need to say. So just giving yourself some time beforehand, I need to talk to my registrar about this, what can I say in 30 seconds or less mm -hmm. that they need to come and see this patient. So that's, I, I think it's just about taking note of that while you're a medical student and then, I mean, you could certainly practice that um, if, you, if you want to help out and do referrals and that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so taking that time beforehand to just go over exactly what you want to say. Exactly, and, and for sure. And process it, what the key points are. Definitely. Sure. Chris, we're... Oh, that was such a good answer. Right. I don't know where to go from there. Um, but yeah, I just want to reiterate, um, just being aware that you know we're all on the same team. We're all yeah. here to serve the patients, right? Um, and when someone's calling you, um, <clears throat> or when you're at the receiving end of the call, uh, it's important to remember um, you know, that someone's reaching out to you for help. You know, mm -hmm. It's a little bit harder when it's 3 a.m. and you're getting a non-urgent call, um, but you know, you have to try to you know, be kind to, to your colleagues and to all other staff members in the hospital mm -hmm. as well. Um, a good way to start is yeah, handovers are like super essential. Getting good handovers, practicing handovers as a student and as a JMO. Mm -hmm. um, when you're meeting people from um, different uh, you know, occupations like OTs, physios and stuff, mm -hmm. and they've reviewed your patient, ask them like what their assessment is because uh, it shows an interest in what they do and value what they do because mm -hmm. what they do is very important. Mm -hmm. 
and you familiarize yourself with like the phraseology that they use and you mm -hmm. get an idea of what chest physio actually is, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, after the round as well as a JMO, like if the nursing coordinator can't go on the round with you, you always just run the list with them. Mm -hmm. Shows the same thing, a lot of respect for nurses. It's very useful if they know what's going on with all the patients. Introduce yourself to everyone and yeah, again, just be kind. Being kind, being compassionate and remembering that everyone's working towards a mm. mutual goal and that's the care of the patient. Mm. The so we've touched on this a little bit, but um, you know, life as a doctor, working in the hospital, um, I can appreciate every now and then you'd face a challenging situation or a situation you're not sure how to respond to. I was wondering if we could spend a few minutes um, just going over what strategies perhaps you use in those situations and what advice you'd have um, for students as they're progressing into that and what to do in that situation. Emily? Um, so yeah, that's a really great and important question as well. Um, at the back of your mind as a junior doctor, you need to first recognise that first you are a junior doctor mm -hmm. and safety is key. There is no way that you will know everything um, and you need to understand the scope and limitations of your own clinical practice and then recognising when you need help. Um, I think it's always important, even if you are 99% sure on the answer, um, that when in the first week, couple of weeks, first year, you are including your team in your decision making, even if it's just saying that this is my plan, this is what I want to do, what do you think, are you happy with this? Um, because more often than not, you will receive input that you hadn't thought of, and certainly they have more experience than you. Mm -hmm. I guess the second thing, particularly in time sensitive situations, is knowing how to seek help, um, and that's just ensuring that you know how to access it in terms of having the contact numbers for your registrars and for your consultants, knowing where they are at certain times, such as they are in theatre, so if I need an urgent answer, I can just go run down, pop my head into theatre mm -hmm. and then come back up. But then if it's particularly time sensitive, it's things like knowing when to um, press that met call button. And I think in your first couple of weeks if you're ever unsure and if you're put in that mm -hmm. situation just press it mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, it's certainly I think it was my first day and there was oh, I was asked to see a patient who was desaturating and complaining of chest pain and I would, had no idea what was going on so I just pressed the button and it turned out she had a PE yeah. so I think it's in you, you really don't know what's happening sometimes and it's it's no one is ever going to be angry that you've called a met button mm -hmm. never especially if you're an intern yeah so knowing when you're out of depth and you need some more help yeah chris did you have anything to add to um, you that, that was all really great and yeah. you know the best met is a false met so if the team yeah, arrives yeah. and it's an easily sorted met they're like oh great we can go back Absolutely, to get yeah. a coffee and stuff you know but many <laughs> brains in the room um, I guess just be prepared to be challenged, you know, mm -hmm. like you're, you're going to make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes at every level of your career, you just got to accept that that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, knowing, knowing your ceilings, knowing that as an intern, like you're fantastic, you know, you're brilliant, but you don't know anything. So like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, 
speaking from the surgical side, yeah, if you've got something urgent, come to theatre, like mm-hmm. disturb us in theatre at an opportune moment. Um, and if it's not urgent, just text the group and then we'll reply between cases. But if you know the theatre load and there's like a really long six hour case, just just come down anyway, even if it's not urgent and run like, you know, the 10 non-urgent jobs at once or 10 non-urgent questions and off you go. Yeah. Yeah. Better to be on the safe side than... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, any advice on when to know you're ready for that progression from, you know, say a resident to a registrar or what career path um, you might want to go into? Um, that's a difficult one. Yeah. Um, I'd say picking your career is like, it's it's tough. Mm. Um, I'd say there's like probably three main things to think about and it's like, um, from a surgical point of view anyway, mm. like the most common cases that you do, um, like the bread and butter, the rare stuff's great, it's really interesting, but you know, you're not doing it on a day-to-day basis. Um, as I said, the, the work colleagues, because certain specialties attract certain personalities that will apply to every, everywhere. So you're going to be working with those people for a long time. And then patient demographics as well. So um, certain specialties, especially in public hospitals, tend to attract certain demographics more, like quite often. And so I'd be, I'd ensure that all those boxes are sort of ticked. Um, and that's, that has helped you sort of orientate you to what career you're going to do. And as for knowing when you're ready to step up, um, look, I don't know. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, I think I stepped up like probably, I don't know if it's too early, but like quite early. Yeah. Um, but like the opportunity came up and that my team sort of said, you know, we think you're ready. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think going on the feedback of others is, is pretty useful. Um, making sure, yeah, I wasn't like particularly stressed about the, the step up to be a registrar. But I mean, you know, I don't think... Uh, I don't think it's an easy transition ever. Like yeah. it's been very challenging, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think it is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you enjoying it? So. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have much to add because I'm still a resident. And yeah. I, I think it is just going to be quite a stressful time yeah. when you are transitioning, and it's. I don't think you'll ever f- feel completely mm-hmm. ready anyway. So. Yeah. yeah. Being aware that you're never gonna feel ready, I think, mm-hmm. is yeah, as you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. There's always gonna be something. Emily, how did you go about choosing your terms? I know you're doing a regional term at the Mm. moment. Mm. Um, For our listeners that might want to do a rural or regional Mm. term, do you have any advice around that? Mm. Um, So I am currently at Bunbury Regional Hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a bonded student, so I have done that as part of my return of service. Um, in, as it, in terms of choosing the hospital, uh, it was really word of mouth, to be honest. I yeah. spoke to someone who already worked there, um, mm-hmm. and it sounded like a really beautiful hospital, just in terms of the people, but also um, the services that it provides. It's almost certainly like a peripheral metropolitan hospital in, in some regards. Um, I think... I, for, for me personally, it was more of a matter of uh, personal reasons in terms of being uh, close to Perth and being able to travel back and forth quite easily. And again, also being in some regards, having that some sense of being in a yeah. country town, but really not. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. It's really out like... Out of metro. You know? Yeah, out of metro, basically. Yeah. Um, I think... Doing a rural term is important though, mm-hmm. because it does offer um, a different perspective. 
it is not like working in a tertiary hospital where you can have easy access to reviews by a neuro, you know, a neuro reg or a haematology reg. That I think is where communication is almost key because everything is over the phone. Um, uh, and also understanding, it has become obvious to me that sort of rural metropolitan healthcare gap. Um, and, and I think that's, that's important to realise as well, especially when you do treat um, patients from rural, rural areas when you are in the metropolitan, um, mm. metropolitan region. So, yeah. Important would, to get that variety of experience. Definitely, yeah. I'm always, uh, always advocate for um, doctors wanting to um, assist in the rural healthcare service, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and you learn so much out mm. of it as well. Uh, just before we go towards wrapping up, um, some of our listeners were wondering the practicalities of, you know, as a junior doctor, you're working long hours, sometimes you're uh, staying longer than ex expected. Um, do you have any tips around the practicalities of claiming overtime or how to go around that? Mm. Good question. Mm -hmm. And it's a tough one because it's kind of term specific. Yeah. Some bosses are very adamant, claim everything because it reflects that our service is busy and we could get another junior and, um, you know, and, and rightly so in, in a lot of cases. Um, but some disciplines are very much like, you know, it's a bit old school, um, mm -hmm. you're claiming over time, and not that it shows that you're inefficient, but, you know, it just, it doesn't, they don't think it reflects well on you, which mm -hmm. a lot of the time it doesn't, it just reflects that the job's busy. Mm -hmm. So I just get a feel from, um, the outgoing team, you know, because we often yeah. do handovers. So the previous JMOs would do a handover to the incoming JMOs. And I'll just mm -hmm. ask, I'll be like, you know, how's hand overtime handled? Mm -hmm. In addition to like a few other questions that you should ask them about core conditions and general job, how mm -hmm. that goes. But um, yeah, I think that'd probably be the best person just mm -hmm. to uh, people to ask about that. Yeah. That's really good advice. So getting it from the outgoing team who's, who's been Yeah, there. well, it's kind of expected that, you know, you call the team that you're taking over from and get a handover from them about various mm -hmm. things and that that should just be included in, yeah. like, the questions that you ask. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, anything to add to that? No, yeah. not really. I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. I, um, I think... I think there is a move to the cult, uh, sort of a new culture where over time should be honoured, mm. um, but certainly in some departments that may not be the case, and that's when that handover is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So gauging what the culture is like mm. in that particular team, sure. We've spoken about lots of things today, um, lots of really good advice. I was just wondering before wrapping up if you have any final tips or um, final discussion points for our listeners who are in that zone between transitioning from students to you know preparing to work as a doctor in the near future um, maybe just a couple of things I don't know where this would have slotted in maybe I could have mentioned it earlier but if I was a student again mm -hmm. and I was starting on a team that I was interested in or even a team I, I wasn't really um, on my first like few days I, I tried to do this sometimes but I should have been more consistent with it um, developing goals for the term, mm -hmm. both specialty specific and just general goals in terms of my own development. And I'd run them by someone relatively senior on the team um, and see if they're appropriate for the specialty, you know. And that does a couple of things. It's really good for your own professional and personal development, but also like propels you to the top echelon of students who are like trying to like better themselves. Mm -hmm. So it instantly like makes you look very flashy, you know. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the term, like, you know, 
try and tick most of them off. But yeah, it's a good guide, I think. Yeah. That's really good advice. And mm. yeah, taking that initiative, being proactive. Yeah, that's when you're a student, I think. And then when you start a term as well, um, if you're starting on a term that like you want to do, um, and this was told to me by my, my mentor, who's mm-hmm. like a brilliant man. Um, he said, um, tell the team on like your first few days that you're interested in the specialty mm-hmm. and you want to touch base with them midway through the term, even if there is no formal uh, midterm and be like, I want to get how my progress is going. And, you know, you tell them that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then at the end of term as well, work on those, hopefully no, well, hopefully minimal criticisms. I'm not sure there will be minimal criticisms, but um, constructive things to work on and see how you progressed. And then at that point, it's probably a good chance to ask them to be your mentor if uh, things have gone well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really yeah, so being self-driven and setting those goals for yourself and yeah. following through with them. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that was that was a really um, good tip, and I think it's really important just for your own sort of professional yeah, development yeah. and your own education. Um, I think I think just the one thing that I want to oh sorry two things just the one was um, I forgot to mention earlier was just knowing how to write notes. Mm. I think <laughs> I've yeah. seen. I think uh, it can be. It cannot be overstated how important it is just to know how to structure your notes and document accurately and efficiently as well Um, especially in that rush and whirlwind of award round you don't really want to be going through (laughs) s-o-a-p when you're writing them (laughs) great great um, structure but um, it shouldn't be the first time that you write notes on your first day as an intern Um, The last thing I wanted to say was that as a medical student, you guys are in an incredibly privileged position where you can have this enormous sort of bottomless amount of teaching that is uninterrupted by pages or calls or discharge summaries or jobs that you have to leave for. And I think it is just, uh, being a junior doctor, sometimes I'm so jealous of you guys <laughs> when the consultant turns to you guys to tell you something and sort of just ignores the residents and interns. So it is really such an important time for you guys to attend your clinical placements and really just embrace it mm-hmm. and attend theatre, go to clinic. Even if you have no interest in the specialty whatsoever, that may be the only time in your career that you may have exposure and that may benefit a patient later in life. Or it may just be really interesting for you. So um, that's just what I'd say. It's just I'm so jealous of you guys <laughs> sometimes as a medical student, not the studying part, no, but, yeah. um, but just that sort of undivided uh, attention and Absolutely. ability to sort of dive into teaching that's just uninterrupted and... Yeah, and it's easy to forget how much you learn just by being around, mm. absorbing all the knowledge. Definitely, and, um, yeah. Just those, you know, ad hoc teaching sessions yeah. you get during yeah. the water rounds. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, really it's so great. And it's just so hard to find that time sometimes as a junior doctor, as a registrar, um, to get that teaching sometimes mm. if it's not a formal uh, teaching session. So, Yeah, thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of our um episode thank you so much no, for this thank you. i learned that i learned so much they were very valuable and insightful and really practical tips that i will definitely try and use in the next few months to um, you know better prepare for that transition uh, but i'm sure for our listeners as well you've given us so many um, practical advice that you is bound to make that transition easier for sharing your experiences and letting us learn from that so thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Pleasure.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find this episode as well as all our other episodes and their transcripts on our website www.medtalkpod.com. You can also like us on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash medtalkpod to stay updated about all the new episodes and any new learning resources. You can also send us episode ideas and feedback on our website or our email medtalkpod at outlook.com.